So we are in 2022, our year of pursuing peace. We are talking about uh, God has peace and I want it and need it. And there are a million things in this life to take that peace away, to rob me of it. There are struggles and trials and arguments and disagreements and frustrations and, and tragedy and world events. There's all sorts of things that are pulling me out of that place of peace. So we are wanting to talk about how do we remain in God's peace? How do we find it and remain in it? How do we uh, ensure that we're not getting pulled out of it easily? How do we remain in God's peace that surpasses understanding? How do we walk in peace with our brothers and sisters as well? How are we peacemakers in a world full of conflict? How do we ensure that as followers of Jesus, Jesus, we look different, we look holy, we look separate from the world around us? And so we've been talking about this in different ways. I'm just doing some one-off messages now as we get ready to head into sabbatical. Uh, we have Derek Parento with us next week, which we're very excited about. If you've never heard Derek speak, uh, make sure you're here next Sunday because Derek uh, just walks in a, an intimacy with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and a devotion to do God's will that is really inspiring. And when Derek starts telling stories about what God is doing amongst the First Nations people, uh, you're going to be worshiping like crazy. Like, it's just, it's such an exciting time uh, to hear from Derek every time. Sunday after that is Easter. We're, we're there. We're, uh, we're arrived around again. Uh, as I said in the video, we haven't been able to do Good Friday or Easter in person for two years, and so it's exciting that we'll have a Good Friday service this year that we can all gather for an Easter Sunday together as well. Uh, so as we are getting ready for sabbatical, these are just some one-off messages, some different topics about pursuing peace together. Our big questions that we've been asking, as we pursue peace this year, what's our attitude going to be? Just doing that attitude check. How are we treating other people in our lives? How are we drawing near to the Lord in our life? What are we contributing to the world with our words, with our actions, with our posts? What are we sowing out there as light and salt to this world? And who are we imitating? Whoever we hang out with, whoever we listen to, whoever we let speak into our lives, Lives, we eventually start to imitate that person. Whether it's a news anchor, whether it's a preacher that we like, whether it's family members or friends, we start imitating whoever we're hanging out with. And so who are we imitating? And especially, are we imitating people who look like Jesus? Or are we imitating people who look like the world around us? When I was in high school, I had this amazing opportunity uh, to hear Nelson Mandela speak. So this was in the late 90s. And uh, he'd been out of jail for a little while. He'd been president of South Africa for a little while. And Nelson Mandela, uh, born and raised in South Africa in a time called apartheid. It was a time where uh, there's actually legalized racism going on in the country. And so white people have all the wealth and have all the power. It's legally designed that way. Uh, black people are very much uh, second-class citizens. They don't have nearly as many rights. They don't have the opportunities. And so there was resistance to this movement amongst the black people of South Africa, and Nelson Mandela, as a younger man, was a leader in this resistance. Now, it is often uh, misunderstood that he was sent to jail for resisting, right, for, for protesting the government, for being a voice against them, and that's why he went to jail. He actually didn't go to jail for that. He went to jail for being a violent uh, resistor. And so they were blowing up buildings, and they were doing different, uh, what we would normally call terrorist-type acts. And so they would try to do it safely where, you know, at nighttime so that people wouldn't get hurt, but they were causing damage. So he got arrested, and he went to jail for that. Uh, so, so that sometimes gets missed. But in jail, you know, goes through this transformation and, and begins to become this voice for his people. 
Um, he would express regret later that he had taken the violent path. He wished he hadn't done that. And then eventually he gets his freedom after decades in prison. And they're uh, finally at a place in South Africa where they're actually going to have their first election where black people are allowed to vote. And there are millions and millions and millions of more black people in South Africa than white people. So it would seem probably a foregone conclusion that a black person is going to win this election. And sure enough, Nelson Mandela is elected the first African uh, president of South Africa. And as he moves into that role, the whole world was watching of what happens now in South Africa because the way black people were oppressed was undeniably horrible, just undeniably horrific, and, and just kept in poverty and kept without freedom and kept without rights. Um, this small white minority had all the wealth and all the power and all the rights. So what happens now that the black people are finally represented? Now that they finally can vote, they can have a say in their government, the government is now primarily black, and so what's going to happen now? And when Nelson Mandela stepped into that role, his message was, we're going to forgive the white people. We're going to forgive them. They are our brothers and sisters. And the system was evil, but we're going to, to walk with them. And we're going to reconcile. And we're going to work on this. It was super bumpy. It was far from perfect. It's very easy to say, but then to live it out is much more difficult. But he modeled for the planet what forgiveness can look like. That even though we were oppressed, we are not going to oppress them back. That even though we were treated horribly, we will not treat them horribly back. We are going to go a different way. We're going to choose forgiveness. We're going to choose reconciliation. We're going to choose unity for our nation. And so where there was probably a pretty decent chance that South Africa could have fallen into civil war or, or different types of violence, none of that happened. And he stood as this incredible example of what forgiveness looks like and what healing can look like and what happens when you say, you know, you know what, I'm going to let that go in the name of walking forward in healing and wholeness together. I'm going to release you from anything that you owe me. I'm going to release you from any feeling like I need to punish you for what you did. I'm going to let that go. And he will go down in history, I think, probably always as just one of the greats, right? Like you, the picture went up. You all knew who that was. You say that name and everyone knows who Nelson Mandela is. I think he will be uh, forever just be honored as, as someone who chose a very different path than the ways the world often goes, right? Where it's all about justice. It's all about violence. It's all about punishment. He went a completely different way. And so we are going to talk about forgiveness today. And as we talk about it, uh, we were praying about this ahead of time. It's very, very easy. This is one of those topics where we can go, oh, I know someone who really needs to hear this. <laughs> and your job today is to say, no, this is for me. This is not for me to deflect and shove off onto somebody else. This is for me to listen to what the Lord is saying to me for what I have to learn out of this today. We all get hurt in life. That's just the way it is. The other day, uh, my son was running up the stairs in our foyer to head upstairs, and we have tile, and they've got, so there's like a metal strip on the uh, edge of each step, and I've barked my shin on it before. It hurts a lot. And so he was running up the stairs, and he fell, and he, he smacked his leg on it, and he was fine. But he cried out, and he's like, ah! We're like, Matt, you all right, buddy? Get up. Go for it. You're all right. And he yells, it hurts! And across the house, my daughter yells back, life hurts. <laughs> I went, where did she learn that from? <laughs> that's, that's not a level of cynicism I typically bring into the house. 
But it's truth. That's right. Absolutely right. It is truth. It is truth. You cannot live this life without being hurt. You cannot live this life without being sinned against. If you're a human being, you have been sinned against by somebody in your life. You have been sinned against probably by people in your family. And, and that may be major sin or it may be minor sin. But you can't live in community without engaging in each other and bumping up against each other. We're all hurting people. Uh, we all hurt other people. That's just part of the human condition. And even in the most wonderful, loving, gracious Christian families, uh, those families still have hurt people in them. They still have sinners in them. Uh, we all carry hurts. Some of them are massive and major. Some of them are less intense. But it doesn't mean that they don't hurt. And, and that is part of living life. Um, and it's easy to focus on where we've been hurt. But the thing is, you have also hurt other people in the same way. You have also sinned against others. We have all done this. It has happened to us, and it has happened through us. And when we get hurt, I have seen this in my own life. I have seen this lots in ministry. There is something in us. It is just easier to be angry than to be hurt. Like when you're hurting about something, it's, it doesn't hurt as much if you can direct that into anger towards somebody else. There is something about anger towards somebody else that brings some deadening to the pain. And so it's easier to be angry than it is to be hurt. And so it is so easy to look at the person who hurt us and to look at the situation that hurt us and to just grab on and want them to, to be hurt in return. And even if we don't feel that extreme, to say, like, I'm not letting this go. You were wrong to do what you did, and I'm going to hold on to that. And it's the most natural thing in the world. It's the most natural thing in the world. And yet it is, I hate to say, the exact opposite of how Jesus teaches us to live. And one of the ways in which we are to be holy, we are to be different than the world around us, is that the people of God are forgiven, and we are to be forgiving. That is, that is the, the simplicity of the principle. We have been forgiven, and so we are to be forgiving. Easy to say, very hard to do, but the principle itself is quite simple. So let's get ready to look at our text today. As we do, just a reminder, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any thoughts or questions or comments about the message, you can send those there. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 18. I guess I need a Bible if I'm going to read from it today. <laughs> Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oof, that last line, eh? Wow. So I titled this The Scariest Parable of Jesus Christ. And, and some of Jesus' teaching is, is startling. There's a fear of the Lord, and that's the way it should be because we believe Jesus is the Lord. There's a, a time that we are challenged and a time that we are shaken. Um, much of Jesus' teaching is wonderfully encouraging and, and hopeful and, and meant to build up. Uh, some of it is meant to put the fear of the Lord in us, and this is one of those passages. And so this is not always a parable where everyone's yelling, amen, woohoo, hallelujah, incredible, uh, as you go through it. This one hits heart. And I call it the scariest parable of Jesus Christ partly is, is just the intensity of it, and especially those last couple of lines. There's an intensity to it. Um, I think it's also scary because it is all of us. It applies to every single one of us. Every single one of us finds ourselves in this parable if we are being honest. And so the king in the story, the master, is obviously God. We are the servant, the main servant, who has had their debt forgiven. Um, and then other people in our lives are the other servant who, who gets grabbed by the throat. And so just so we're crystal clear on where everybody lands in this. And so it all starts off. The whole story begins with Peter, the apostle, asking a question. Verse 21 and 22. Peter comes to Jesus. Uh, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. In the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's often a symbolic number. If you remember back in our book of Revelation series, we saw seven show up a lot there. And so seven is uh, it's symbolic and sometimes had a literal application, like there's seven days in the week and, and different things like that. So Peter is asking a fair question. He thinks he has the answer, right? So uh, seven is a number that God likes. And so how many times do I have to forgive that person who has sinned against me? How many times do I have to do that? Surely the answer is seven. That's God's magic number, right? We, we like that number. And Jesus' answer is, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Your version might say 70 times seven. And so Peter is, seems to be asking for a literal answer. How many times do I literally need to do this? And Jesus' answer is more of a symbolic answer. 77 or 70 times seven uh, is, is to say, keep forgiving. You're going to forgive without limit. You're going to forgive ongoing. It's not going to be a, there's not going to be an end to it. Uh, 77, 70 times 7, that's the complete number times the complete number. Uh, you will be doing this ongoing. You will be forgiving ongoing. There's not an end to it. So sometimes people ask, well, how do I know if I've forgiven somebody or not? How do I know if I'm holding a grudge? Because sometimes I don't feel angry, and sometimes I do feel angry. And uh, sometimes, you know, years can go by, and I don't even think about that person. And then I see them on Facebook, and something in me goes, and rises up again. And so how do I know? And I think when it comes to forgiveness... I go, when you can think of that person without anger, without annoyance, without frustration, when you can think about them without thinking of the thing that they did, when you can think about them with some warmth, hopefully, and, and with some, some peace, um, then that's probably a pretty good sign you've forgiven that person. But there's the people in our lives where even if I'm not fuming all the time, I can still think an awful lot about that thing that they did. Right? I can, that can take up a lot of real estate up here. 
So if we're thinking about the thing that they did a lot, if we're angry with them, if we're feeling the pain of it, then we're, we're probably not where we need to be on forgiveness yet. And sometimes what can happen is I can think about that person, I can forgive them for what they did, uh, and then a few months later, I might get mad at it again, right? And go, oh, I thought I was done. I thought I was through this. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at, is that forgiveness is not always a one and done, you're through. Sometimes it is that. But sometimes it is an ongoing, repeated process of, of just continually going, okay, I, I'm still feeling something here. I need to, to, to go through this again. I need to let this go. Um, and so that's just part of what Jesus teaches. And then jumps into this story. I love the stories of Jesus. They take the complicated matters of the kingdom of God and just bring them down to earth for us. So 23, 24, there is a king. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. And so as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, your version might say 10,000 talents, that was a unit of measurement, talents of gold, uh, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So that is often uh, how slavery happens in scripture. It's not slavery in the sense of uh, like what happened to African Americans where they were kidnapped from a country and taken over. Often in scripture, slavery happens when I owe Marissa money that I can't afford, and so I'm going to become a slave to her family as payment, right? And so uh, it was a legal thing that was in place that if you can't afford this, uh, you can pay off your debt in other ways. And so there was a weird grace to it almost, that rather than uh, you being destroyed, you can find other ways to pay off your debt. And so that's what's happening, is that the man and his wife and his children are going to go into slavery because they cannot pay the debt back. Now the debt, if you do the math on 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents, uh, the math on that is that is worth about $10 billion with a B, $10 billion. So I don't know what the servant was up to, but he got into trouble, obviously. Um, and obviously was in a position of some trust, I guess, because some money was loaned to him in a, a crazy amount. But it's probably much more likely Jesus is engaging uh, in what sometimes gets called rabbinical hyperbole. It was a common practice of Jewish rabbis at the time where they would exaggerate things to an extreme in order to make a point. And so anytime you've ever said like, oh, it's like a thousand degrees outside today, that's hyperbole, right? It's not a thousand degrees. You're exaggerating on purpose to make a point. Jesus does that a lot in his teaching. And so that's probably really what's going on here. It's not meant to be a literal story. It's that he is making the point that the servant finds himself in a place where he is overwhelmed by a debt that he cannot possibly pay back. If any of us were in to somebody else for $10 billion, uh, we're in trouble, right? You're, you're, it's impossible. Uh, and to be broke, especially, right? Like, where, what are you going to do? Where are you going to start from? How are you possibly going to pay that back? And it is the picture of us and God and our sin. And when you start thinking and being honest and you start listing every sin you've ever committed, and every sin you will ever commit, every sin you're committing right now while you sit here in this room, like every thought, every word, every action, every gossip, every judgment, every bit of self-righteousness, every lust, every financial thing, like when you start adding it up, again, it's not about a literal number. It's about we find ourselves in a place where we have a debt that we can't pay back. We find ourselves overwhelmed by something. We, we have gotten ourselves into trouble, every single one of us. And, and there's, we're stuck. We're absolutely stuck. 
And so the man is going to be sold into slavery. His wife is going to be sold into slavery. His children are going to be sold into slavery. And that's exactly what sin does for us. We sang about it today. John 8, 34, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That our sin has bound us up. It's the human condition. We are stuck in it. We can't break the chains of it on our own. No matter what we do, we are stuck there. Now, that's not the end of that scripture, but that is the picture of what we are in our sin. We are enslaved to it. We are stuck. We cannot free ourselves. Moving on to verse 26 of the parable. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. That's, I mean, it's very optimistic. Uh, It's not possible. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the servant finds himself in an impossible situation and, and makes an impossible promise. I'll pay it back. $10 billion, somehow, I'll find a way. The master knows that's not possible. The debt is impossible to overcome. The servant cannot possibly pay it back. The servant asks for time. That's really, just give me some time. I'll figure it out. I will find a way. And the king's response is no. Took pity on him. Canceled the entire debt and let him go free. And that is a beautiful picture of what grace is. That's grace. That's grace. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then he goes on to say, but he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Freedom is where that ends, right? We were slaves to sin, and now we are free. That the Lord has looked at us and took pity on us, canceled our entire debt, and let us go into freedom. Grace is is so much greater than even what the servant was comprehending. The servant said, maybe if I have some time, you won't make me a slave. And the grace of the master was so much greater than that. Grace brought him more than what he asked for, so much more. The debt is canceled. And again, that's us. Scripture says he has taken what was against us and he has nailed it to the cross. That that we have been wiped clean of anything. We stand before him perfect forever. Like we read in scripture this morning at the communion table. Freedom from sin the whole way. Titus chapter 3 verse 4 and 5 says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It's not something we accomplish. It comes to us as gift. That's what grace is. His mercy, his compassion come to us. So that's the, I mean, if a story stopped there, that would be like a baptism Sunday testimony, right? It was, hey, I was bound in sin. Uh, The consequences were overwhelming. I couldn't get out on my own, but the grace came and now I'm free. That's not where it stops though. It keeps going. The story keeps going. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, so it's like he's literally leaving the room where this just happened. He's walking out, having just received a get out of slavery free card and and debts wiped out. When that servant left that place, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And so, uh, you know, $10 billion just got forgiven. 
100 silver coins is not nothing. Uh, to do the math on that, it's about $20,000. And if someone owed me $20,000, that's a significant amount of money. That's not nothing. Um, the key, of course, is that 20,000 is less than 10 billion. I did the math on that, you can trust me on it. 20,000 is less than 10 billion. And so it is significant, and yet, like how quickly grace got forgotten, right? How quickly grace got forgotten. He grabs his fellow servant by the throat. Like, that's intense, right? That's not, we all saw Will Smith slap someone this week, right? That felt intense. This is grabbing someone by the throat. Like, that's moving from assault to attempted murder. And he's grabbing him by the throat. Like, you're threatening the person's life. And the thing about our unforgiveness, like, when we refuse to let someone off the hook, when we refuse to let that go, when we hold on to a grudge, it can take us to very dark places. Our bitterness changes us profoundly. Our, our unforgiveness will begin to shape the way we look at the world. Cynicism starts to creep in. Um, the bitterness starts to affect other areas of our life. Our hearts start to get hard. Like this is such an overreaction, especially in light of what he'd just gone through. But, but even without that, this is such an overreaction. And, and that's the warning for us. The author of Hebrews says, make sure no bitter root gets in there and starts defiling you. And when we're mad at someone, bitterness is there. When, we, when we're wronged by someone, there is that, that factor that kicks in, and it can start to change our hearts into a very dark place. And that's the warning of Scripture, is that this isn't just about uh, you know, who was wrong and who was right, and can we work it out and reconcile. This is about we need to make sure that our hearts are not going into a dark place. And there's something about when we are wronged where we, we can very, very easily go there. I have met uh, people in my, life, in my life, in my ministry who are older, uh, coming more to the end of their life. And they've been wronged and often have legitimately been wronged. And I have seen both sides. I have seen the people who have found forgiveness, who come to the end of their life joyful and, and grateful and, and loving. And I have seen the people who have gone the other direction and come to the end of life bitter and, and twisted and angry and cold. And it just seems like the longer life goes, you sort of go in one direction or the other one. And, and just wanting, just a pastoral heart, just wanting uh, the freedom from that and the healing from that and the wholeness from that. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Almost the exact same phrase that the first servant had just said to the king, just be patient with me, give me time. Now, $20,000, I could pay back with some time, right? A little bit of time, I, I could figure that out. I don't have it in my pocket right now, but I could figure out a way to make that work. 10 billion is impossible. 20,000 is possible with a little bit of time. So the second servant says the exact same thing the first servant just said, just be patient, give me some time, I will pay it back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Punishment that he was just forgiven of, he holds his, his fellow servant to that. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So word gets around. And again, what we're supposed to do in this story is read it and say, man, what a hypocrite. And then look in the mirror and say, man, what a hypocrite. What a hypocrite to receive unconditional grace 
right? To sing songs about his mercy, to sing songs about his freedom, to sing songs about his incredible, amazing grace, to come to the communion table and get teary-eyed and say, amazing what he has done for me. And it all has been done by him for me. I have been forgiven entirely. I have been set free entirely. I have been welcomed back into his family entirely, and he did it all for me to receive that grace and that compassion and that forgiveness and then to not extend it. It's the very definition of hypocrisy. And again, I think it is the universal human struggle. I don't think, I think some of us do this better than others, but I don't think there's anybody who has avoided that hypocrisy in their lives. I don't think it's possible to live life without it. But it can only happen when we have completely forgotten what we have been forgiven, right? That's the only way it can happen. Because again, if I start listing everything I've ever done, like we're living in this time right now in this particular season where multiple major ministries are, are going through crisis as different pastors and leaders are having moral failures. And you know they're having their moral failures broadcast in front of the world because they're global leaders. They have this global platform. And so it is coming out globally. And as I talk to other pastors, we're all going, man, I'm glad my worst moments are not being broadcast in front of the whole world. And, and just the, the level of, of anger and rage that can come. And for sure, for leaders, the standard is higher, undeniably. And they need to be called out and it need to be dealt with. And, and I think if you have a global platform, it needs to be dealt with globally. But again, the, the, the rage and, and sometimes the self-righteousness that rises up in these moments, the, the word of God says that, you know, if you see someone in sin, you who are gentle should seek to restore them carefully, but don't get cocky because you might fall into the exact same things. There's a warning there too. So we need to see the sin. We need to acknowledge it. Um, we need to do it with a bit of humility as we do that. And so I can understand it. Like I've been hurt in my life. I've been hurt by people I love. I've been hurt by people who've treated me terribly. I've had horrible things said and horrible things done. And so it's not that that's not real. Right? The $20,000 debt, that was a real debt. Like it was something that was owed. It's not that the, the action wasn't real. It's not that the person was maybe not in the wrong. It's that if I'm going to hold you to punishment while receiving grace, I can only do that when I forget how amazing God's grace really is. I can only do that when I forget how huge my debt really was. I can only do that if I'm getting a bit too you know, fast and loose with things like the cross and the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken and shed for me to deal with my debt. Right? I can only hold someone else to, to that level of, of grudge and anger and unforgiveness when I forget. And that's part of where we come to the table to remember Right? We come to the table to be reminded that we are not our own. We were bought at a price, and the price was high. And Jesus has done that for us. And so as we, we talk about this, I also want to be clear, it doesn't mean that that person who wronged us necessarily is, is just off the hook entirely and that there are no consequences for anybody's actions. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So there is a, a, a place where we say, God, if that person needs dealing with, I'm going to trust you. If they need punishment, I'm going to trust you. I am not a great judge. There's too much of Chris in here, right? My judgment is not perfect. And so I'm going to trust the perfect judge 
to, to handle these things. And that doesn't mean also, to be clear, that if someone wrongs me, it also doesn't mean that I might not have a conversation with that person, because uh, that is a biblical idea as well, that if someone wrongs you, you can go to them and talk to them and say, here's where I feel like you wronged me. So it's not like we're just going la, 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 and pretending things didn't happen or, or being in denial about stuff, but it's about saying, you don't owe me anything. And, and I don't want you to be, to be punished uh, because I understand the grace that I have in my life. And so uh, I'll add one more caveat to that, that we would say if there is illegal activity that has gone on, um, that's a, a different thing. And you still need to work on forgiving that person. But it doesn't mean that the police might not get involved. Um, and in the name of that, we've seen cover-ups in churches and, and terrible things that were done to kids. And it was, well, you have to forgive, so you're not allowed to go to the cops. And that's not what that means either. So it doesn't mean we don't have conversations. It doesn't mean there's not a holding to account. It doesn't mean we don't go to someone and say, I think you wronged me and here's why. Um, those things can all happen and should happen. But forgiveness is primarily about what's going on in your heart towards that person. What's going on in here? What is your attitude towards that person? Um, and, and what are you hoping to get out of this as you have these conversations? So as news gets back to the king, verse 32 to 34, the master calls the first servant back in. You wicked servant. Like, this is quick, right? This is a quick turnaround, right? There was forgiveness. He left the room, choked a guy, got called back in, and we've gone from, wow, I'm going to forgive everything to you, wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It seems like an obvious question. Hard to live out. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So grace is now replaced by anger, right? All that wonderful, amazing, incredible, freeing, compassionate grace has been replaced. And this is where we're getting to the scary part of the parable, right? Because if that is us, if we are that servant, every single one of us, uh, then it is apparently possible that we can receive that grace and also have that grace be replaced by anger. There is a hypocrisy to this, uh, that makes sense, right? I, I don't like it when I see hypocrisy. Uh, there's a hypocrisy to this where God is saying, I have given you everything, even laying down my life to cancel out that debt for you. So how are you now going and holding your brothers and sisters to a different account than what I have given you? Colossians 3.13 puts it so simply, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, if there's a scripture to memorize, that's a great one right there. It's easy, it's short, why do we forgive? We forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because it's hypocrisy not to. We forgive because we have received everything from God as a gift, and it is just the, the height of a double standard to not treat others that same way. It is so difficult to have one hand open and sing the songs and say, Lord, I need your grace every day, and with your other hand be holding someone else by the throat. I want both hands up. I want both hands worshiping. I want both hands receiving the gift that he has given. We can't do both at the same time. That last line, like the, the, the original plan for the servant was you're going to be sold into slavery to pay the debt. The plan now is you're going to jail to be tortured, right? It's worse. The consequences are worse. And, and in any other context in the Gospels, that's hellfire-type language, 
And there is much speculation about what that means. But uh, I, there is a, a large school of thought, I would say, that suggests that our unforgiveness might put our eternity at risk. That's the type of language that is getting used here. Uh, as things are wrapping up, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember the Lord's Prayer? We looked at that a number of weeks ago. And Jesus says, if you don't forgive other people's sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's problematic because we believe the only reason we're going to heaven is if we're forgiven. So what does it then mean if our sins are not being forgiven? I have a friend who uh, was meeting, he was a pastor. He was at a lady's deathbed. She was coming to the end of her life. And, you know, I'm at a fair number of deathbeds in my profession. And when it's a believer, uh, it's almost always a, a calm and peaceful place. Like there's just a sense of God in the room and the person is at peace and the family is at peace. I've been at unbelievers' bedsides and it doesn't always feel that way. Um, but this woman was a believer, and as he sat with her, he said she was just kind of, she was just agitated and, and just, you know, she wasn't resting and, and she was fearful and, and angry and stressed out. And, uh, and so he was just sitting with her as she kind of was wrestling and, and trying to get her to talk about it and she wouldn't talk about it. Um, and he, he just felt from the Lord to say, okay, so do you need to forgive anybody here? And, and prayed the Lord's Prayer, including that line of, of to get your sins forgiven, we also need to be forgiving and uh, and so came to that point, and she began to tell stories of people that she was furious with and, and just where she was, you know, holding on to stuff and wanted to see them punished and wanted to see them taken down and, and where they deserved it because of what they'd done. And so he sat with her, he listened to her, he talked with her, he prayed with her, eventually got her to a place where she could say, Lord, I forgive them. I, let, I leave them to you. I let it go. It's your responsibility. It's not mine. I don't need to hold this anymore. You've forgiven me. I forgive them. And he said the change that came over her was instant and dramatic. And all of a sudden, the peace was there. And as we talk about pursuing peace this year, it's going to be really hard to find and hold on to God's peace if we are holding on to bitterness and grudges towards other people. It's, the peace and bitterness just can't seem to coincide in the same place. And so if we're pursuing peace, that is one of the things we are pursuing. We are pursuing forgiveness. The word of God says in James 2.13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So the question becomes, what kind of judgment do you want? Right? We're all going to stand before God and give an account. We will all have to, to make a, a, an accounting of our life, our words, our, our words, our deeds, our actions. We're all gonna have to do that. Um, what kind of judgment do you want? that day. I would like mercy. I would like grace. And so that calls me to mercy towards others. That calls me towards grace of other people. And, and it's just, honestly, it is really meant to be just the natural extension of what Jesus has done for us, that we are forgiven, and then we will be forgiving. And that is one of the ways that his forgiveness spreads to other people. We will receive grace and we will give grace. We will receive mercy and we will give mercy. We will receive compassion and we will give compassion. Every time we forgive somebody else, it's like we're a vessel of grace for that person. They get to experience what forgiveness feels like person to person. And that gives them a taste of what God's forgiveness feels like. We become sacramental in that moment. We become a means by which God's grace can spread. And so we want to receive it. We want to, to worship in it. We want to rest in it. We want to dwell in it. And then we want to give that away to other people. 
We want to take everything that has been freely given to us, and we want to freely give that away to other people. So we forgive because God tells us to, first and foremost. It's, it's called for in Scripture. We forgive because he tells us to. We forgive because it's like Jesus. We want to be Christ-like. We want to follow in his example, and he was forgiving. Even hanging on the cross, right? What is he praying for the people who are killing him in that moment? Father, forgive them. There is grace. He's, he's interceding for the people who are literally murdering him in that moment. When we forgive, we are like Jesus. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And, and that's the most maybe common sense thing that sounds so obvious and yet is so hard to do when we're hurt and when we're upset. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And then we forgive because it sets us free. Right? We don't let the bitterness get in. We don't get wrapped up. We have all these pithy sayings about forgiveness of, you know, forgiveness is, is like, uh, or unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, right? You've heard that preacher's little saying before. Forgiveness is me drinking poison, hoping that Jeff gets the effect of it, right? But, but it's killing me on the inside. Unforgiveness is like holding someone in a prison for what they did to you, but not realizing you're in there in the prison with them while you are holding them to that place. It is freeing to let this stuff go. It is healing to let this stuff go. It is Christ-like to let this stuff go. It is biblical to let this stuff go. And you might need to do it more than once. You might need to do it 70 times, seven times. You might need to do it over and over and over again. But it's going to be hard for us to find and hold on to God's peace if we're not continually seeking to do this, to grow and to move forward in this area. So very, very practically, come on up, worship team, as we get ready to wrap up here. What does it actually look like? Um, oh, where'd it go? Oh, I had a great list, and you guys aren't going to get to see it. All right. So first of all, make a list of people. I did this uh, in the last few weeks where I just went like, all right, Lord, search me and know. Where am I still holding on to stuff? Uh, where am I still mad, even if I'm not as mad as I was? Is there anything in there? Um, and I actually had a list. There was a list of people from my life, some from the past, some from the present, uh, all sorts of things. So make a list and pr just pray that prayer. Search me, Lord, and know. Where is there still stuff in here that I have not completely released and let go? Make a list. Write it down. I have it on my phone. And so as you do that, be really honest about what was done. And I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff on my list was silly and stupid. Like some of the stuff I was mad about and I found myself starting to go like, oh, they didn't really mean anything by that. And, and that, you know, that, that, this is me maybe overreacting. Don't do that. Like, I mean, it's good to do that. I shouldn't say that. But don't talk yourself out of the pain that you felt. It might have been a tiny little thing, but if it hurt you, it hurt you. That's just a fact. If, if it affected you, it affected you. Uh, some of our hurts in life are massive. Some of our hurts are minor, but a hurt is a hurt. And when we've been sinned against, you know, again, on the smallest of matters or the biggest of matters, all of it affects us. And so just be honest. You know, it's just you and the Lord. You don't need to, to tell the whole church. But be honest about how they've hurt you. Be honest about how they've sinned against you. Pray a prayer of forgiveness for each one. And that can be as simple as this. Father, I release them into your hands. They don't owe me anything. I just give them to you, and it's your responsibility. I forgive them for what they've done. It can be short and sweet, just like that. Next step can be harder. Pray blessing over each one. Whatever good thing you want in your life, pray that for them. 
Pray for their marriage. Pray for their kids. Pray for their finances. Pray. It's actually really hard to remain angry with someone when you're simultaneously praying God's best for them. Your heart starts to change as you do that. So pray blessing over each one. And then rinse and repeat as needed. So this week, I was doing that every day. Just every day. I had my list, and I I thought about what was done. Um, By the end of the week, I was actually taking people off the list, where I went, you know what? I'm I'm actually not feeling mad about this anymore. That's something that that I think is dealt with. Um, I can let that go. And so we're, we're responding with blessing always. We're responding, seeking God for them always. And as you're making your list, sometimes people, you know, like if you're married, your spouse is probably going to be on your list, to be honest. And maybe not for anything horrific, but just you can't live with people without bumping up against each other sometime. Your parents are probably going to be on your list. Even if they were wonderful, amazing, godly Christian parents, um, they weren't perfect. And so, again, don't talk yourself out of the hurt. Be honest about it. Because God already knows it's there, so you're not fooling anybody. Just be honest. And it might seem silly, and it might seem like an overreaction, but it doesn't matter. Where did you feel wronged? Be honest about that. And so it might be parents, it might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be your brother or sister. I don't imagine there's anybody on earth who doesn't need to forgive some people for the last couple of years and everything we've been through. Just people who are on the other side. I know families have divided over stuff. I know friendships have divided over stuff. We need to forgive the government, some of us, for things that, that hurt us, the decisions that were made. Like that, it's, we've all got stuff. And out of the overflow of the grace that we have received, we want to be able to give that grace away. And so to be honest with what's going on inside of us, to pray blessing over those who are on, to release them into the hands of the Lord is what we're talking about. As we are pursuing peace this year, when you think about where you were wronged, which was probably completely legitimate and real, where where they did something wrong, like how much peace is being mad at them bringing into your life? How much peace are you holding on to while you hold on to that grudge at the same time? And as hard as this talk is, I was saying in pre-service prayer, like, oh, like this is not a light, fluffy message. Anytime I preach on forgiveness, it's always a sort of a serious, somber type thing. The parable is somber. Um, That's just part of it. But it really is for your good that we find our way in this area. Like, there is so much freedom that comes. There is so much healing that comes. There is so much peace that comes when we say, Lord, you are Lord, and I am not. I can give all of this to you to worry about. I'm not going to spend my life grabbing other people by the throat. I'm going to leave them in your hands to deal with, and I'm going to focus on just receiving all the grace that you have for me and giving it away as much as I can. So let's stand as we get ready to close. We're going to worship again. We'll pray together before we go. And let us just, again, just... Focus on him. Receive what he has done for us. Let's remind ourselves in that. And then as we go today, let's consider what it means for us now as we live out our lives with one another.